I don't know why that I feel like saying this this morning because my voice for about the last six or eight weeks is just about gone. But I'm reminded of Moses when he said he couldn't speak. The Lord provided him somebody. But I'll tell you how I feel this morning. I've got such an excitement about the Lord Jesus sight, Jesus and what he's done for me and how he's handling our family and so forth that I'm excited. My insides are shaking. Have you ever been that way? Just excited. But what I want to tell you this morning, and it brought to light, Britt was talking about the answer to prayer. I want to tell you an event that happened several years ago, and I'm good at storytelling. Sometimes I tell them more than one time, you know. But I taught a Sunday school class over at Axon, Georgia, for about, I guess, 25 or 30 years. There were some people from Douglas that would go over to be in my Sunday school class Every Sunday, they were the nippers. And there was a sister nipper, brother nipper, and his brother. She, was, uh, she claimed to be a Christian, but they were always faithful. They were there every, every Sunday. But I never saw any move toward the Lord from him. But he, he listened, always nice, always loved to see me, hugged my neck. But he never made a profession of faith. Well, Ruby died and Homer died. And Isla and I went to see Joe Nepper. Went out to his house and we wanted to encourage him and pray with him. So we went in that day and we began to pray with Joe for his salvation. Joe was a shy man. He didn't say much. But he appreciated, he was always appreciated everything. But we begin to pray, and I, I begin to feel the presence of the Lord. I mean, and I, we prayed a prayer of salvation and seemed to be make some headways. And I got to the car, put my hand, and the Lord spoke to me very strongly. He said, you're not through yet. So I said, I'll let's go back in. We back in, and we pray for Joe. And I'm telling you, the glory fell. Good mercy. Joe shouted all over that house. I'm telling you, the glory fell, and Joe got saved that morning. I'm telling you, that's what I long to see a day to, again. Don't you? God is the same. This is an excellent time for people to be saved during this COVID-19 scare. You know that? I'm telling you, I've done, I hope you got a good one. I done heard about five or six messages this morning, so add to it, brother. But I'm excited today. I can't be still. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. I've seen for 70 years what he's done, but I long to see that kind of revival now at West Ward. Not down the road somewhere. We talk about what the Lord has done in the past. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many wants to see revival? Amen. I'm telling you, if you want to see it, if you're hungry for him, you can have him. Amen. I hope this week my prayer is for the Lord to reach down and touch you and you shout all over your house. So when you get to church, you shout all over us. Amen. Praise God. Joe Nipper. I won't see Joe in heaven because the Lord was kind enough to speak to me and say, hey, you're not through yet. Go back in there. And Joe, this quiet, reserved man, he shouted all over the house and got saved. Praise God. You remember that kind of stuff? Amen. God is good, isn't he? Praise God. Thank you. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that wonderful testimony. Amen. Thank you, Dad. Amen.
Amen. Well, if you quit shouting, it wasn't the Lord that quit. Amen. 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 Turn in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We'll speak to you today on the subject, have mercy. Have mercy. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're praying that you would add your anointing to the preaching of your word today, God. And not only, Lord, allow us to hear, be hearers of the word, but allow us, oh God, to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Will you give the Lord another hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen. The greatest human need is the need for mercy. The reason that you are here today, the reason that you are anywhere today, the reason that you're breathing today is the mercy of God. Lamentation 3.22, it is through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. King David's cry in Psalm 51 and 1 after his great sin with Bathsheba and conspiracy to commit murder, after all of that, he made no excuses. In fact, he didn't even plead to retain his throne On the top of his mind and on the tip of his tongue in his prayer was a cry for mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. When Mary was pregnant with the Lord Jesus and she encountered her cousin Elizabeth and the unborn John the Baptist, She broke out in what many consider a song, and in that song, it's called the Magnificat, and in that song, what she extolled was the mercy of God that had been sown from generation to generation. In Jesus' ministry, there was a Canaanite woman, or sometimes she's called a Seraphonician woman that came to him for her demon-possessed daughter. And she came, and what she requested was mercy. She said, have mercy on me, O son of David. When Jesus was transfigured on the mount with Peter, James, and John, and shone like the noonday sun, when they came down from that great moment, that great event, and got down to the foot of the mountain, there was an a, a argument that was going on among the people and the disciples because there was a man that had brought his epileptic son who at any moment would go into a seizure and be thrown in the water or thrown in the fire. He had brought him to the disciples and they could not heal him. And so he brought him to Jesus and what he cried out to Jesus was, Lord, will you have mercy on us. 
blind Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside in Jericho had heard that Jesus was passing by. And when he heard Jesus passing by, he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And those with Jesus and those in the crowd compelled him and pressed upon him to be quiet, which he in response cried out the more and the louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Romans 9.16 teaches us that the race is not to the one that wills, it's not to the one who runs, but it's to the one that God shows mercy. Now I think that sometimes we may think that God is capricious with his mercy. Capricious kind of is a fancy word for being temperamental. My wife often complains about the fact that she doesn't know which version of me that she's going to get and things that she thinks will really set me off, I just take with a grain of salt. But things that really don't matter, I get red in the face about. It all depends on whether or not I've eaten, whether or not I'm stressed, or whether or not I'm just being a big behind. It all depends on those things. But God is not capricious. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is a God of mercy. Anybody remember that kid's game, mercy? Anybody remember that? Come up here, Katie, since you're right there. Katie doesn't like to be called out in front of anybody, so I called on her today. Come on up here. Anybody remember this when you were a kid? Put your hands up like that. Anybody remember your brother or your sister or a friend at home bending that and holding it until you cried what? Anybody remember that? I think, thank you, Katie, I think that there are people that think that's the way God works with his mercy. That God gets some kind of delight at squeezing us till we squeal for mercy. God doesn't twist our elbow and twist our arm until we cry uncle. God is plenteous in mercy. He is looking for opportunities to show his mercy. He's not withholding his mercy until we cry loud enough. He's not withholding his mercy until we get desperate enough. He's not withholding his mercy until we get passionate enough. He is willing to give his mercy. Now, does God ever use the circumstances of life, our financial situation, the events of the world, our personal health? Does he ever use those situations to get our attention? Yes. But when God does that, God's thought is always redemptive and not punitive. God's desire for us is not punishment. In fact, the Lord doesn't even take delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't even like seeing the wicked get what they've got coming to them. God is a merciful God. Sometimes a parent may send an unruly child at the dinner table, may send them to their room without dinner. But they don't do that till they get so hungry that they cry out, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, would you please let me? They don't do that. 
They do that simply because they want to teach them a lesson. But as soon as that young person makes themselves available for the mercy of their parent, they're more than willing for them to sit back down at the table and eat. Sometimes you might have to ground an unruly teenager. But you don't keep them under lock and key, locked in their room, in isolation, uh, like they were, you know, somehow in solitary confinement at the state prison. You don't do that until they finally, in desperation, cry out, mercy, mercy, because that feeds some kind of sadistic desire in you to prove who's boss. That's not what you're after. You're just wanting them to open their eyes to what's best for them. And you're wanting them to avail themselves of your mercy. Every once in a while, somebody has to spank a child. Yes, people still do that. And yes, it's still effective <laughs> when it's done right and uh, measured. But when you do that, you don't do that just to hear them cry. You'd be a monster. You'd be a sadist if you did that. No, you do that because you want to them to adjust their behavior for their own good. Yes, God will get heavy-handed sometime so that people can realize their need for His mercy. But God doesn't squeeze our hands until we cry in agony and pain, mercy. He just wants us to cry for mercy because that's the only way that we can be saved and the only way we can know joy. God is not stingy with His mercy. God is not capricious or temperamental with His mercy. God is not unjust with His mercy. God abounds in mercy. Psalm 103 and 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He has enough. He's not going to give out of mercy. It's not in short supply. You don't have to wait like in the gas lines during the gas shortage. You don't have to wait for God to measure out. God doesn't do His mercy like we had to do toilet paper a few weeks ago. You can get some, but you can only get one pack. There's a limited supply. I'm telling you that God's mercy is as unlimitless as God Himself. He never runs dry. He never gets a deficiency. There was a song back in the late 60s or early 70s says there's a shortage on air that we breathe. There's a shortage on gasoline. There's a shortage on energy. But there is no shortage on God's mercy. There is no shortage on God's love. God has enough mercy to go around. There are two Hebrew words that are used in Psalm 103 and 8. The first one that's translated merciful is the word raham, and it means compassion, and it comes from the Hebrew word for a mother's womb. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's mercy? What could be more safe, more secure, more all-encompassing than a child covered by the love of a mother's womb. God said, that's my mercy. See, God's mercy is not just that negative attribute where we don't get what we do deserve. Some people 
paint that as a false dichotomy between the mercy of God and the grace of God. They say mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. But the Bible doesn't paint God's mercy as a negative of what you don't receive. The Bible paints God's mercy as the atmosphere in which you can grow. The atmosphere in which you can thrive. The atmosphere that God creates where you feel cared for and secure. The second word in the same uh, 103 and 8, that second word for mercy is the word hesed. And it means the loving kindness of God. In fact, the Hebrews thought of it as the covenant obligation that God will care for his own. The New Testament word for mercy is the word elios. And here's what Thayer defined that word mercy as. Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with the desire to help them. Mercy is more than just sympathy. Sympathy is you're hurting And it makes me feel bad that you're hurting. And it's wonderful to be sympathetic. But mercy is more than just sympathy and it's more than just empathy. Empathy says not only are you hurting, but I've been there. You're going through cancer. I've been through cancer before. I can empathize with you. I can understand what you're going through. I've been there. That's a wonderful thing, but that's not mercy. But mercy goes a step beyond sympathy. You hurt, therefore I hurt. It goes a step beyond empathy. You hurt and I know what it's like for you to hurt. For Jesus was tempted in all ways as we were, yet without sin. We have a high priest that understands where we're from. But mercy goes beyond that. It is joined with the desire to help. Mercy is compelled to do something about that. Mercy doesn't stand at the river's edge and say how sad it is that that person's going under for a third time. Mercy jumps in the river and rescues the perishing. That's the mercy of Almighty God. Listen to these comforting words from Ephesians. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And all of this starts in verse 4 where he says it's because God is rich in mercy. He's superabounding in mercy. Titus 3, 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now what's very, very sad is that often, Very often the people that have received the mercy of God are the very ones that have a terrible time in trying to share the mercy of God. 
the, those that have been set on the right path, those that have been born again, been washed in the blood, that have received the mercy of God, very often they look at the world in which we live, they look at the people that they deal with, and they have a terrible time extending mercy. This was the case of the religious people of Jesus' day. Those that were dedicated to following God. Those that had been looking for the promised Messiah but rejected Him when He came. Those that were known as the faithful and the separate. And Jesus said to, to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Even pay tithes off of your spices and herbs. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The Pharisees saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners and confronted the disciples with the idea of a Messiah that would dare be seen with such low caste people. And Jesus responded in Mark 9.13 to them, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I'm grateful for everybody that labors for the Lord. I am so grateful I was blown away by the faithfulness of this body during the time that we could not have church of your faithfulness. Not only did we not lose anything, we did more than we did this period last, that period last year because of God's faithfulness and your faithfulness. I'm grateful for those that are willing to come and be in the house of the Lord. I'm blown away by the knowledge that many of you have of the Scripture because you read and study the Scripture. I am absolutely impressed with the moral rectitude in which the majority of our members live. They live straight as an arrow. I am thrilled for your dedication to stand for the things that are right and good and holy in a world that is increasingly perverse and evil. But I'm going to tell you, when we tithe, it doesn't impress God as much as when we show mercy. When we attend church, it doesn't impress God as much as when we show mercy. When we live right, it doesn't impress God as much as when we show mercy. When we read the scripture or pray, it doesn't impress God as much as when we show mercy. God is delighted with the pure sacrifices of a pure heart, but religious activity or a, a refraining from sin will never, never cause a heart that is cold and harsh and bitter and legalistic and judgmental to impress God. But the heart that does those things and more because they bubble over with the gratitude of God's love and the mercy for those that don't know Him, that's the heart that God is pleased with. Mercy is the Lord's requirement of us. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, old man, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We think that we're so wise, so smart, because we can see the evil in the world and recognize it as evil. We think we're so spiritual because we're able to diagnose the problems. We think we're so enlightened because we can see the direction the world's headed and we cry foul. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be spiritual. (laughs) You don't have to be smart to look at this world and know that it's in a mess. Any kindergartner in Sunday school ought to be able to tell you what's wrong with the world. But if you want to know what a sign of heavenly wisdom looks like, look at James 3.17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. We think that it's our job to judge the world. I'm not talking about uh, just agreeing with what God's word says about right and wrong. Of course we do that. Of course we stand on what God's word says instead of what man says. I'm not talking about using discernment about who you allow to influence you. You better do that. But I'm gonna tell you when you walk around with nose stuck high in the air and a tisk tisk on your tongue and look at what's going on in the world. You know, listen, Lot was not the most spiritual guy in the world or else he would have never moved into Sodom. But he had enough of God in him that it bothered him what went on in Sodom. It vexed his righteous soul. And certainly for those Crystal and I and the kids, we went on some places on the vacation that when we, when we walked through certain places, we'd had all we wanted in about five minutes because it was, light doesn't have fellowship with darkness. Of course it vexes your soul. But if you think we're spiritual just because we can see the problem, listen, it's not our responsibility to judge the world. That's what our Lord and Savior is going to do when he returns. He's going to judge the living and the dead. It's not our place to judge the world, but it is our job to be merciful to those that are in the world. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. You remember what Jesus said? Judge not, lest you be judged, because with the same measuring tool you use to mete out judgment to others, that's the same measuring tool that justice is going to be meted out to you. James said, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. New York City mayor back in the 30s, LaGuardia. Uh, The story is told that one night, January 1935, he went down to the night court in the city of New York and he actually relieved for the night the judge, the city judge of his responsibility and sat as the judge in that night court. And there was one um, 
shopkeeper came up and he accused a little widow woman of stealing a loaf of bread. And the woman testified in her defense and she said, I'm sorry, your honor, but we have no money and my, my daughter's husband has run off and left her. We have no means of support and she's got two small children and we were hungry. And the shopkeeper said, I know things are tough all over, but my shop is in a rough part of town and we've been vandalized and robbed multiple times. And we've got to make an example out of this woman because that's no excuse. It's still a crime to steal. And we've got to make an example out of her. So Judge LaGuardia looked at the woman. He said, ma'am, I'm so sorry that you're in the condition that you're in. But he's right. We cannot allow crime to go unpunished. Therefore, I'm fining you. $10 or 10 days in jail. And he clamps down the gavel and she's heartbroken. And then he said, furthermore, I'm finding everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for us living in a town where a widow woman has to steal bread to make room for her daughter and her two small children. And he clicks down the gavel and everybody, including the shopkeeper, <laughs> Had to give 50 cents. They raised $47.50 to give to that widow, widow woman. What am I saying? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And if God gave us what we deserved, we would all deserve to be on the fires of hell. And God was so just, he couldn't allow sin to go unpunished. But he was so loving that he gave his only begotten son to come and die on a cruel cross to pay the sin debt, to pay the penalty of sin for us that we can have life. And therein the mercy of Almighty God triumphs over justice. Amen. Amen. Mercy is not only a requirement of the Lord, but mercy is also a reward to the person that shows it. Proverbs eleven seventeen: the merciful man does good for his own soul. When you show mercy, it feels good. When you show mercy, it liberates you. I didn't plan to, to share this, but I was, I was so touched. Almer Peterson came to me one day. He had a woman that was several months behind on her rent. And it was obvious that the woman was using him and abusing his grace. His grace. And abusing his mercy. And he came to me and he says, Pastor, I want to know what I, what I need to do as a Christian. I, I think the woman is not telling me the truth. I've given her every opportunity. But do you think as a Christian, is it all right for me to, you know, expect my rent or expect her to move out? And I said, yeah, you know, there comes a point that you have to, you have to do those things in business, Homer. But what a heart. I know Christian people 
that if somebody was one day behind on their rent, they'd be wanting to kick them out. But Almer Peterson, his default mode was to show mercy. Now let, let me ask you, when you pass by somebody's uh, casket and you look down and you say, boy, they never let anybody get anything over on them. They were a tough cookie. Did, didn't nobody ever pull anything on them. And you pass by somebody else's and say, you know, I remember several times that person was taken advantage of because they just loved people. And people would take it. Who do you respect more when you pass by their casket? The one that never got taken advantage of or the one that was so prone to mercy that occasionally they were on the losing end? Who do you think more of? You think more of the one that showed mercy. I'm not talking about being foolish, naive, or negligent. I'm talking about with eyes wide open, choosing to walk in mercy. Mercy feels good. I remember mercy benefits the one that gives mercy. I, I, rem, uh, I remember a little story of a man that went around in a neighborhood knocking on doors. And he had a little can. And a woman opened the door and he said, Ma'am, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm raising money for a needy family. Said the husband's been out of work. The wife is pregnant. And they don't have any food in the house and their lights have been cut off. And if they don't get their rent paid by tomorrow, their landlord is going to expel them, put them out of their house. And she said, well, sure, I'll help. But said, first, let me ask you, who are you and, and what are they to you? He said, oh, I'm the landlord. <laughs> Listen, when you extend mercy, it blesses you. It feels good to give mercy. Here's the way it works. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When you open your hand to extend mercy, you're already in the posture to receive mercy. When you clench your fist and withhold mercy, you limit your ability to receive mercy. But when you give it, you're open to receive it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. David, in 2 Samuel 22 and 26, when he was exalted to the throne, he said, With the merciful, you will show mercy. Jesus said it this way, When you're merciful, you will receive mercy. So let me hurry. What does the merciful life look like? What does it look like to live in mercy? Luke chapter 6, starting verse 27. I'm going to read quickly. But I say to you people who are listening to me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Ask God to bless those who ask bad things to happen to you. Pray for people who are mean to you. If someone hits you on the side of your face, let them hit the other side too. If someone takes your coat, don't stop them from taking your shirt too. Give to everyone who asks you for something. When someone takes something that is yours, don't ask for it back. Do for others what you want them to do for you. If you love only those who love you, should you get any special praise for doing that? No. Even sinners love those who love them. 
If you do good to only those who do good to you, should you get any special praise for doing that? No. Even sinners do that. If you lend things to people always expected to get something back, should you get any special praise for that? No. Even sinners lend to other sinners so that they can get back the same amount. I'm telling you to love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to people without expecting to get anything back. If you do this, you will have a great reward. You will be children of the Most High God. Yes, because God is good even to the people who are full of sin and not thankful. Give love and mercy the same as your Father gives love and mercy. Don't judge others and God will not judge you. Don't condemn others and you will not be condemned. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give to others and you will receive. You will be given much. It will be poured into your hands more than you hold. You'll be given so much that you will, it will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. Perhaps the greatest example of this kind of mercy was found when a young man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, the young, and Jesus said to him, obey the, the commandments. He said, I've done that all my life. He said, okay, one thing you lack. And here's what the Bible says. Jesus looking at him and loved him. And he said to him, sell all that you have and come and follow me. Very similar situation. A man asked Jesus, what must I do to internal, uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord and love your neighbor. And he willing to justify himself, said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus told him a little story about how that a man fell among thieves. The priest and the Levite both passed by on the other way. He didn't want anything to do with him. But a Samaritan took him and poured oil and wine into his wounds, took him, bound up his wounds, took him to an uh, uh, inn, paid for his lodging. And he asked the young man, who do you think was a neighbor to that man? He said, I guess it's the one that showed mercy. The one that showed him mercy. That's the one that was his neighbor. I challenge you this week to view the events of life not as an obligation to show mercy, but as an opportunity to show mercy. Something as simple as the person who is the cashier where you're doing business. And you go through the line and they're snooty. They're short with you. And something rises up in you to say, do you know who I am? Instead, you kind of put that brake on and say, you know, here's a chance to show mercy. I've heard people say this all my life. Well, I guess I got to love them to go to heaven. Well, I guess I got to love you if I want to go to heaven. Listen, just save it. If that's the only reason you love me so you can go to heaven, just keep it. I don't need it. I'm all right without it. I like a better way to saying is because I'm born again and have the nature of Almighty God, that's what makes me fit for heaven and that's what makes me fit for earth. That the mercy that God's extended to me bubbles up and out of me so that I'm merciful to you. You know, listen, God will make you love everybody and with some people, you know it's God, don't you? That's the mercy of Almighty God. Well, I'm about to close, I promise. Be merciful with me for a moment longer.
Shakespeare in the play, the, uh, the uh, Merchant of Venice, he puts in the mouth of the character Portia, who is defending someone who had defaulted on a debt, these beautiful lines, and I, I know, you know we're not used to Shakespeare, but I want you to listen at what these words are saying. The quality of mercy is not strained. That means it's not constrained, it's not forced. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throne monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to all in majesty, wherein does sit the dread of fear and fear of kings. But mercy is above the sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Well, I know this hasn't been a shouting service, but this is a rubber meet the road of how to live the Christian life sermon. To show mercy, especially to the least, the last, the lost, the unfortunate, the unlovable, even the abominable, to show mercy. But unfortunately, for many Christians, the person to which they have the most struggle showing mercy is themselves. We will show mercy to other people, but we will torment our own selves for our imperfections. I'm not talking about letting ourselves off the look to live, uh, hook to live subpar lives, but I want you to listen to me. Very, uh, Please listen to me. You dishonor the death of Jesus. You count the blood of Jesus as an unworthy thing. When you torment yourself over something that he's already forgiven. You're saying it was not enough. What Jesus did was not enough. I've got to beat myself up a little bit. I've got to agonize. I've got to torment myself. I'm not talking about repentance. I'm not talking about the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. I'm talking about a, an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and dread for things long past forgiven. You remember Isaiah? 
He said that the Lord shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Jesus paid it all, all to him. I owe sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. When you're extending mercy to others, make sure that you extend a little mercy to yourself. Little Johnny was out playing with his slingshot. And his sister Susie was over playing in the sandbox. And there was a little stream that ran through their grandmother's property. And in that stream there was a little duck. And Johnny knew that there was no way he was a good enough shot to hit that duck. But he wanted to try. So he pulled, put a little pebble in that slingshot and he pulled it back with all of his might and his little arms trembling and he, he took aim and he stuck his tongue out the side of his mouth and he let it go and it hit that little duck right in the eye. And it killed that duck. And he thought, oh no, Nana's going to wallop me good for killing her duck. Susie went up to him kind of rocking back in two. She said, Johnny, what happened? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. She said, Johnny, I saw you kill that duck. And I'm going to tell Nana, oh, please, Susie, don't tell Nana. Please don't tell Nana. She said, you know, Johnny, tonight was my night to wash the dishes. Don't you think maybe you'd like to do that instead? He knew what she meant. Extortion, blackmail. He washed the dishes for Susie. Next day, they had to get up. It was Susie's turn to fold the clothes. She walks by, sees that pile of clothes. She said, hey, Johnny. Quack, quack. <laughs> so Johnny folds the clothes. For about a week, Johnny is under the thumb of Susie. Finally, he can't stand it anymore. He goes to Nana, and in the middle of it, unexpectedly to him, he didn't expect it, in the middle of it, he's overcome with emotion, and he starts to cry. He says, Nana, I, I, I killed your duck. She said, Johnny, I know you did. I was washing dishes and looking out the, the uh, back window of the kitchen whenever I saw you shoot the duck. I just wondered how long you were going to let your little sister torment you. In a spiritual sense, we all shot the duck. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But how long are you going to let the devil torment you? When God already knows what you did. And he's standing there with mercy. Full and free to forgive. An abundance of mercy. And you're living tormented lives under the taskmaster of your sin. When there's a God waiting to forgive. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy.
Would you stand? Every head is bowed and eyes are closed and Christians are praying. Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful for your mercy. Lord, help us to avail ourselves of your mercy. Help us to extend that mercy to others. And Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you, and they're lost, and they're full of sin, remind them that they're a prime candidate for the mercy and the grace of God because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You're plenteous in mercy, God. Draw people to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every Christian is praying. If you're here today and you are saved and you know it, lift your hand. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God. Now, as no one's looking around, if you're here and you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior, you might be a good person, you may have good motives, but you're just not saved. But you lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not a Christian. Would you pray for me? Thank you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I know what it's like to be saved, but to be honest, I am away from God at this moment. I'm not right with God. I know I'm not. I would, I would not want to stand before God as my judge right now with the way that my life is, the way, way I'm living. I know I'm not right. Would you lift your hand? All right. Look at me if you will. Is there anybody today, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, is there anybody today that as I preached about a merciful life, found room in your life that you could extend mercy greater than what you have. Raise your hand. <laughs> oh, Lord, when I'm driving up I-75, if I could have the mercy I've preached about today. I think about that poor old person from Florida that was ahead of me in line this morning at, at, the, at, the, at Hardy's. I pulled in to get something to eat. Just as I pulled in, three people pulled in front of me. And the one right in front of me was from Florida. I said, that's what they're good for. Getting their, I didn't say it, but I thought, that's a waste of oxygen right there. Right? But boy, if we would see the events of life and the people we encounter as the opportunity to show mercy. I know, I know, folks, and I gotta let you go. I know there's part of us. I know, and I'm, I, I, there's balance. I know there's balance. There's a time to speak up. There's a time to speak out. There's a time to stand up. There's a time to stand out. I'm not, I'm not opposed to any of that.
But I think for many Christians in this day, we have diagnosed the problem correctly, but we have misprescribed the solution. We've diagnosed that the problem is sin, but we think the prescription is to yell louder. But I'm going to tell you, if you will become a repository for the mercy of God, if you'll take the opportunity not, not, not to condone sin, but to love people, I'm telling you that the mercy of God through the lives of His people is what will transform this world. Amen. You know how I know? Because it's the mercy of God that transformed me. Amen. I want you to lift your hands and I'm going to pray over you. And then I want you to pray as a body. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, bless your people. Let Lord, let the mercy of God be unleashed in our lives. God, let us show mercy to our spouse. Let us show mercy to our children. Let us show mercy to our sister, our brother. Let us show mercy to those that we encounter day to day in our neighborhood. Let us, Lord, show mercy to those that we disagree with. Let us show mercy to those that we know from your word are wrong. Let us, oh God, be a people of mercy. Because God, we need your mercy ourselves. We need your mercy. And the only way we can be available for your mercy is to be merciful. Opening our hands to give and receive. The mercy of God right now.